Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the 10th and Broad Church of Christ podcast. Today's message is presented by Ken Holsberry, the preaching minister at the 10th and Broad Church. Let's tune in now for Ken's message. Well, imagine that you were going to go on an extended trip and uh, you were going to be gone for, for several months and you had to leave your children behind. Now, it's kind of even hard to fathom that, but just imagine that that was the case. And, and you, your plan is that you're going to eventually return. Um, but in the meantime, you need someone to take really good care of your children. So you would go about a pretty exhaustive process of finding that person that you were going to trust to leave in the over the care of your children and you would probably do extensive interviews and and you would uh, screen the applicants and you would probe their personalities but when it came down to it you would you would sit them down and you would let them know just how precious uh, your children were to you and how important it was that you were trusting uh, them with your children and I think the Lord feels that same way because we are his children And scripture teaches that there's nothing more precious to him than his church. Those that have been saved and bought by the blood of his son, Jesus. And he has left us for a while, but he has promised that he is going to come back. In the meantime, he has entrusted the care of his precious children to elders. And so we're going to spend some more time talking about that today as we go through this elder affirmation process. Thanks. Well, Paul begins in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, with a really strong um, general statement. Now the overseer, and we talked last week about three different words that are used in Scripture. This is one of those for elder, shepherd, overseer. Now the overseer must be above reproach. Um, just, just a little bit of grammar. One of the things that is real clear in this passage in the Greek language is that the word must is emphasized. And the the word must just says absolutely. This is not um, conditional. This is not optional. This is not up for negotiation. This is an absolute necessity. And Paul starts with this phrase that the overseer must be above reproach. So... Above reproach is pretty important. What does that mean? Well, in, again, in the Greek language, and I don't, I don't know Greek, so I'm not trying to puff myself up. I only read and study these things. Uh, in the, in the Greek language, that phrase, above reproach, or it's one word, above reproach, it's, it's a legal word. It has legal connections to it. And it is often translated blameless. That's a word we read. And it means, not able to take hold of, or not able to hold onto, not able to be held. And it's a legal word. What it means is an accusation can be made about this person, but they're not going to stick. Uh, someone may call the police and, and make an accusation, and the police may come, and, but they can't get a hold of them because the accusations don't stick. That's that's the idea behind this word that the overseer must be above reproach. That does not mean, and you know this, but we need to say it, that doesn't mean that this man is perfect. That doesn't mean that this man has never messed up. That doesn't mean that this man does not sin, but it does mean that when he does, 
He deals with it. He takes care of it between him and the Lord and between the people that are involved. And we are promised that we are washed clean when we confess our sins and we're sprinkled again by his blood and he is faithful and he is just to forgive us. And so these men are just like all of us. They, they do things that they wish they didn't do and they slip up and they mess up, but they deal with it. And because they deal with it, they are blameless. They are above reproach. An accusation against them is not going to stick. And I just want to stop here and say, we're talking about elders and we're talking about these kinds of men. But as we deal with this, this is how all of us are supposed to live. We are all blameless in Jesus Christ. And we all can deal with our daily sin and the times that we mess up and the times we do things we wish we hadn't and interact in a bad way. We can go to the Father and we can confess that sin and we can go to the person. We can confess that sin. He is faithful and He is just to cleanse us by the sprinkling of His blood. Wash us clean again and we are forgiven and so we can be blameless. We can be above reproach as well. And so we're called for that. And I hope especially for young men in this congregation, I hope that today the Holy Spirit convicts you in such a way that you decide, you know what? I want to live my life so that one day I can be an elder. And I want to live my life so that the accusations won't stick because I am clean by the blood of Jesus and I am unleavened. I loved what you said today, Rocky. And I am pure and I am holy in God's sight. Let's all live that way. But we do call men to be elders. We call men who live this way and who set this this high standard. And, And there's two really important reasons that we need men like this. We need blameless men who will lead our church. And one is because they will set the right example on the inside for the church. For the body of Christ, we need men who will be blameless and above reproach, who, who accusations won't stick to, so that they can be an example to the inside, to the church, but also so that they can send the right message to those who are outside of the church. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. But so the family of God on the inside will be inspired, and so observers on the outside will be, be impressed. Max Lucado tells this story about being a little boy or a young boy and he, he, he loved to run fast and jump high and he set him up a, a high jump in his backyard and, and it was a, an old mattress and a, a cane fishing pole that he, he rigged up so that he could jump over it. Man, he, he jumped all afternoon and he'd raise it up a little bit and he'd jump some more and he just really thought he was jumping high. And then his older brother and his buddies came home and looked out there and said, Hey, what are you doing? And they just kind of stepped over that. And uh, then they raised it up and for the next couple hours, they started jumping. And he said when they left, their minimum was way above his maximum. And he realized I did not jump as high as I thought I did, but he was inspired by them because they raised the bar to get him to jump even higher and even better. And that's what these men do for us. Again, they're not perfect. They sin, but they're above reproach because of their the way they deal with their relationship with Jesus and with other people. Accusations won't stick. And so they they raise the bar for the church. They set the goal a little bit higher. They serve as examples. They lead us in such a way that we want to do better as well. 
So the life of an elder should inspire us to raise the bar. That's why Peter urges elders to be good examples over in 1 Peter chapter 5. And why Paul begins this section with this phrase, the elder must be above reproach. Because the elders set the standard for the church. They just do. If elders are cooperative, the church will most likely be cooperative. If the, if the elders are contentious, the church will very likely be contentious. And you need to thank God that we don't live and worship in one of those churches because I've seen them and they're not good places to be. So when the elders are, are living that kind of life and leading in that kind of way, the church follows. When the elders are hospitable, the church is more hospitable. When the elders are stingy, the, stingy, the church is, is more likely to be stingy. We could go on and on and on because the elders set the bar. They set the example for those inside and they communicate a clear message to those who are outside. So look for men who are above reproach. What does the character of this man look like? Paul starts with that statement. The elder must be, the overseer must be above reproach. He uses that phrase here in 1 Timothy. He also uses it over in Titus. In both places, he then gives a description. He, he, he lists some qualifications, some characteristics of, of what that might look like. And they're very similar in Timothy and in Titus. And in our congregation, for several decades, we have approached these in such a way to say that they are, they are not qualifications. When we treat them like qualifications, we, we kind of get into a checklist mentality and a, a legalistic mode. And, and a, a man's got to be perfect. Because if you miss one, then you're not batting a thousand. And so we, we have chosen not to approach them that way. We have chosen to approach this as more of a portrait, more of a picture, more of a, a character description of what a man looks like who is above reproach. And so I'm not going to go through every one of these and parse out all the Greek words. I actually started doing that and ended up just cutting and pasting that because uh, you can just you can get yourself bogged way down in scenarios and 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 what ifs. But to take this idea of this picture, I would just like to. You can follow along in your outline and just just say, what does above reproach look like when we consider men that we want to reaffirm that we want to affirm? Is he above reproach in his marriage? Is where this starts. Is he above reproach in his marriage? And the idea here is, is he faithful? That's what what Paul's getting at. Is he faithful? Is he faithful to his wife? Is he above reproach when it comes to alcohol and other addictive substances? Because the idea very clearly here with the words that are used is Paul says, is he sober? And, And it means literally, is he sober? And so that's the idea here. The As we continue, is he above reproach when it comes to decision making? The the idea here is, does he have a sound mind? Is he balanced in his thinking? Does he have self-control? Again, we're, we're painting a picture of someone here. Is he above reproach when it comes 
to being respected. And the idea here with the word that is used is, does he live an ordered life so that he's respected? Is he above reproach when it comes to how he treats people? And the word used here, the idea, is he, is he hospitable? And that doesn't just mean, does he have people over? It means, does he notice strangers? Does he, does, he, does he pay attention to people? Is he above reproach when it comes to teaching gospel and doctrine? And the idea here is that his life... And his words are consistent with the gospel and communicate the doctrine and teaching of what it looks like to follow Jesus. Is he above reproach when it comes to alcohol? This one shows up twice. May have been a problem. The idea here again is earlier it said, is he sober? This time it says, is he not a drunk? Is he above reproach when it comes to violence? The idea here is that he is not a contentious person, but he, he's not looking for a fight, but instead he is a peacemaker. Is he above reproach when it comes to materialism? The idea here is, is he greedy? Is he above reproach when it comes to his home? And the idea here is, do his wife and his kids respect him? And does he lead his family well? Is he above reproach when it comes to his faith? And the idea here is that he is grounded enough in his faith not to fall because of pride. And then is he above reproach when it comes to outsiders? And the idea here is, does the community think well of him? Now, that's a picture. We, we, if you read through 1 Timothy in the following verses after above reproach, you'll see a lot of words, a lot of descriptors. And that's what we just walked through. And it's very similar to what is in Titus. The picture of the kind of man that God wants to entrust his church to until Jesus comes again the kind of man who is going to be a shepherd who's going to be an elder who's going to be an oversower overseer the kind of man who is above reproach and he is blameless and we're looking at the sum total of his life we're looking at the way he lives his life is he someone you respect and that you are willing to follow and there's a principle The principle says, protection reveals the price. Protection reveals the price. Now I want you to imagine, a lot of us paid attention recently when Queen Elizabeth passed away and Charles became king and we saw the pomp and we saw the circumstance and and I kind of get caught up in that kind of stuff, I like that. But, But we all have that picture of Buckingham Palace and we have that picture of those guards who are in front of that palace. And I mean, they are... Stiff and straight and square jawed and and their eyes are looking straight ahead and they're not distracted by anything And it communicates something about what is inside because protection reveals the price 
The way they carry themselves and the way they conduct themselves and the vigilance with which they take seriously their job communicates that what they are protecting is valuable to them. Now, if if England didn't care much about the queen or the king, they could just put some old slobs out there in front who were who were you know, not paying any attention and who were standing around shooting the breeze and, and, and whatever. And that would communicate something as well, wouldn't it? That would communicate that, you know, really, we don't take this very seriously. And, and what's behind this gate is really not that important at all. Well, God has decided in his wisdom that this thing that is very precious to him, the church, It's precious because it was bought with the blood of Jesus. It's precious because we represent him. We are his ambassadors and his witnesses while we are here on earth. And he cares about us. He wants us to remain holy. He wants us to remain following Jesus. He wants us to be protected. Not just by folks on the outside but by maybe some folks on the inside who are wolves in sheep's clothing God takes this seriously and he has said in every congregation every place my people gather there needs to be some men who take this seriously some men who are above reproach who the picture of their life fits with the things that Paul described And they're going to be the men who are going to care for this flock. They're going to be the shepherds. They're going to lead us well. They're going to be the men who are are elders. They have some spiritual maturity, some life experience that they can can make decisions well and and can guide the life of this group of people. They're going to be overseers who who have some sense about them and some wisdom about them and, and and lead and manage well. And those are the folks. Those are the men. Those are the guys that, that God has said. Take care of my church. Look after my people. Guard my flock. When we got to go to Israel. Went to a number of cities. That had some kind of gate. And when you and I think of a gate to a place, we think of some metal gate that opens up. But gates that were going into these cities were enormous. And they're, they're huge. And, and uh, they're, they're maybe 20 or 30 feet deep from the time you enter the gate from the outside. But you walk through and there's huge thick walls and then you come into an area that's open and you have to usually turn because they didn't want somebody to be able to charge right through that gate and so you turn and you have to walk this way 20 or 30 feet and then you can enter into the city and and in that huge open area a lot of people could gather and they took us one particular place that i remember really well they said it's probably the oldest thing that we would ever see and it was a gate that they had dug up and and removed the dirt and dug way down because it was huge. And they said it was a gate to a city of Dan way up in the north of Israel that probably Abraham walked through that gate. Because in Scripture, we know Abraham went to that city. They said it is that old. So probably Abraham went through this gate. And I remember it was, there was, we would, there were like benches. There were just places in the walls where you could sit. And again, a big open area inside this gate. And they said they, they got some of the oldest people um, in the group. And 
Pa and I at 53, we called ourselves the youth group of that group. And, um, and so he got some of the oldest people and he said, Hey, I want y'all to sit right here on this bench because this is where the elders would have sat because every city in the ancient world had elders. This was just the most common thing in the world. Every city had elders. Every city had the older, wiser men with experience that the, that the community trusted. And they would sit at the city gate and people would come to them. And, and they would be witnesses and they would be judges and they would help people make decisions and they would, they would help people celebrate and, and honor significant things in their life. They were just a part of this community. They were a part of the life of this community and they were the leaders of this community and they would sit at the gate. And I just, I love that picture because it, it's not something we have in our, in our world anymore, but, but this was such a common thing that God used to say, these are the kind, this is how I want my church to function. So if we come in the gate, when we're here together, then we have, we have some men that we trust. We have some men that we value. Have some men who their life, the picture of their life, sets a bar for us. As they lead us. As they help us. As they help us make decisions. As they, as they, as they love us and care for us. And so that's, that's what... God has in mind for this precious group of people that meet here at the corner of 10th and Broad. And I'm thankful that, that we're in this process. I'm thankful that we're in this time where we're reevaluating and reaffirming and affirming and, and asking the Holy Spirit to raise up men. And our administrative committee who in our system lead this process. They've made available to us nomination forms. You can get one on the table if you don't have one. There's a blue box in the back. This Sunday and next Sunday through noon is, is your opportunity to nominate men that you look to. That you say, yes, that they fit that picture. Yes, I'm willing to follow them. Yes, I respect them. Yes, I believe that God... Is raising them up. And so you, you nominate them. Remember that any, any man. Our existing elders. And potential elders. Need to receive 20 nominations. 20 people need to say. Yeah I think that man. Is someone who should be considered. And all of those who are willing. Who receive those 20 nominations. They will continue in this process. And. Our administrative committee will again, they'll, they'll lead us each step of the way and inform you on what happens next. But that's the part of this process that we're in now. So I would ask you to pray with me as we go to our Father in heaven. Father, thank you for your wisdom on how to lead your church. And honestly, Lord, I'm thankful that it's local leadership. I'm thankful we're not led by some group in a, another faraway place who really doesn't know us. Or, but we're led by men who do know us and who love us and who care for us. And men who we know and we love them and we care for them. And so I'm, I'm thankful for that very simple uh, but profound model of leadership that you left us. I'm thankful that Jesus perfectly modeled what it means to lead a group of people. 
to the point that ultimately he put them first. He put us first. He sacrificed himself for them. This is a, this is a serious and a high calling. I'm thankful for men who hear that call and step into it. I pray, Lord, that you would, as you have done in the past, as we trust you to do now and in the future, that you would raise up men, men who are filled with your spirit. Men whose life fits this picture. And I pray that you would raise them up. Father, I pray that as we go through this process, that you would continue to bless us with unity. That we'd be of one mind. And that that one mind would be like the mind of Christ. Father, I pray for this church. I thank you that you care for us so deeply. I thank you that you have bought us with the blood of your son. And we're precious in your sight. We want to be faithful to you, Lord. We want to be the church that you need us to be. And so thank you that you're doing that. I ask you to continue to do that. As we live to grow and mature and bear fruit, make disciples as we wait for your return. And God, I pray that you would grant that we are that kind of church and that we are led by that kind of man. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.